Several of you have asked over the past few weeks if I would consider doing something that some of our brethren in the area are doing, and that is to have a Sunday night where you have questions and answers. And I discussed this with the elders Sunday or Monday evening, and so beginning the first Sunday night of September, I'm going to uh, preach lessons on questions you have asked. And so if you will, if you have a question about a Bible subject, a Bible verse, a Bible topic, then feel free to uh, give me a back of one of the visitor's cards or a letter, send it to me by email, however you want to get it to me. I did want to begin to emphasize, though, that I would encourage our young people, teenagers, uh, young Christians, if you have a question that you're struggling with, if you have a question that you need help with to talk with your friends, I would be delighted to answer those kinds of questions. They're the kinds that uh, many times we struggle with and we want a good Bible answer, a good Bible approach. And so I want to encourage you to do that. The past week I have been trying to plan lessons for the future. And I have a folder in my office called Sermon Seedbed. And I don't know if you all recognize what that's for, but that's a place where if you go hear someone speak or someone offers you an idea, you scratch it down on a piece of paper. Several years ago, my sister handed me a piece of paper that said, Preach a sermon on the devil's tail. And she spelled it T-A-I-L. And you can visualize the uh, idea of a devil having a tail. And she said, you know, some people think of the devil as this man who goes around with horns coming out of his head and a pitchfork in his hand and a long pointy tail. And she said you could also preach it the devil's tail, T-A-L-E talking about the lies that he tells. I also had written down there the phrase, Get Behind Me, Satan. And if I can, for just a few moments, point out to you that Satan is a very present threat, but not like many of us expect him to be. We have this idea that Satan is going to present himself to us face to face and say to us, I'm here to cause you to lose your soul. I want you to realize that the devil sometimes speaks through our closest friends. Our Lord, if you were to choose three of those people who were the closest to him while he was here on this earth, most of us would say Peter, James, and John. And yet it is through the voice of Peter that the Lord says the words that were read to us just a few moments ago. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Now, the question that arises is, Why did the Lord say that? If you go back earlier in the chapter, you'll find that they have just arrived in the region, the area of Caesarea Philippi. The Lord had asked the question, who do men say that I am? They began to provide the speculations of men. But Peter very forcefully, very clearly, very plainly said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And 
The Lord's response to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Don't you know that Peter must have swelled with pride with, Hey, I got it right. I've got the Lord saying, Blessed are you. But then you pick up. And it says the Lord from that point began to show them that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hand of the chief priest and the elders, and the third day be killed. And Peter's response to him was, Lord, it will never be so. The idea is, is Lord, we're not going to let that happen to you. We're not going to let you die. The latter part of verse 23, you are an offense to me. Literally, you're a stumbling block. You're a trouble to me. The reason why is because you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And folks, do you realize that when you and I tell a brother or a sister in Christ to do something based on worldly suggestions, We're mouthing the words of Satan. We are encouraging people to do what Satan wants done. He is most effective because he doesn't look like the man in a red suit with horns on his head and with a pointy tail and with a pitchfork in his hand. He's most effective because he looks like us. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 through 15, He said, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Folks, let me tell you. The guy speaking for Satan may be the man standing in the pulpit. He may be the man teaching the Bible class. He may be your friend who is trying to tell you what you need to do. But you've got to listen and see, does the words come from God or do the words come from Satan? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, As we observe the writing, the second letter to Corinth, Paul is worried that the church there is going to somehow agree with what the devil wants done. And so he says, lest Satan should take advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, his schemes. He's able to persuade us to do things. Now, when I think about what Peter said in Matthew 16, verse 23, and the Lord says, get behind me, Satan. I think about what the Lord told Peter. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. Do you understand that Satan asked for Peter specifically. And what he asked to be able to do was to 
sift him like wheat. Let me put him to the test. Let me try him. If you read the rest, verse 32, But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. To return means he's going to go away. You see, Satan was effective with Peter. If Satan is effective with Peter, what do you think about Tony? Can he be able to reach me? Can he reach you? See, Satan wants us too. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. So I brought into this lesson, what if I were the devil? If I were the devil, what would I try to persuade you to do? You know, if I were going to come up here and I was going to be the devil's advocate, what would I say? Well, the first thing, I'd try to keep you out of the church. We have folks here tonight who are not Christians. I do my very best to persuade you you don't need to be a Christian. However, if I wasn't successful at that, I would try to get those who have become Christians back into the world. And then, if I could not keep you from going back into the world, I'd like to make you so ineffective, so useless, that you're not worth anything. Now, the obvious question that comes up is, how are you going to do that? Well, let's look at this idea of keeping you out of the church. Satan knows the truth, but he wants to keep you from it. Listen to 1 John 2.21. I have written to you, or not written to you, because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And no lie is of the truth. You go to verse 32 of John 8, and he says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The devil knows that if you learn God's word, you learn truth, and you obey the truth, then you're going to be free from sin. You're going to be free from Him. And so you've got to prevent someone from hearing and understanding the truth. So what I'd do, if I were the devil, I'd just lie to you. I'd tell you what you want to hear. I would put in your ear something that's so believable. John 8, verse 44, You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources because he is a liar and the father of it. You see, if I were the devil, I would try my best to keep you from studying your Bible. I'd try to keep you from... I'd try to persuade you, you can't understand that book. To be more specific, I'd try to confuse you. I'd throw out a whole lot of ideas and claim that nobody's correct. You know, that's what the world is doing right now, don't you? The world is throwing out all these ideas and saying, well, you know, if you want to be a homosexual, that's fine. You want to be a heterosexual, that's fine. You want to kill your baby? Go right ahead. You don't want to? You want to have that child? Go right ahead. 
When I go to 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is talking about the miraculous gifts. But he is concerned that when the miraculous gifts are being exercised in their assembly, that you need to be really careful about the way things are done. He said in verses 6 through 10, Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit unless I speak to you either by a revelation or knowledge or prophesying or teaching? Even things without life, whether a flute or a harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if a trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Now the idea is is that if you've got a, a trumpet, is it playing charge or is it playing retreat? You hear a trumpet playing, you say, I don't know what that is. Am I supposed to go forward or am I supposed to go back? Let me tell you that preaching that does not tell a person what he needs to do and how he needs to live but just speaks in generalities all the time, is exactly what the devil wants done. As long as the preaching does not make application to your life, just, you know, don't worry about it. You drop down to verses 23 through 25. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers... Will they not say that you are out of your mind? Now, folks, pause with me for just a minute. Imagine people coming into our assembly here and they're hearing one thing over here and they don't know what they're talking about. They hear something else over here and they don't know what that's going on. They say, those people are crazy. They don't know what they're doing. If I were the devil, that's exactly what I'd want. I'd want to confuse everybody with this. But verse 33 says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. You see, God did not ever want us to be so generic that we don't take a stand for something. And if I were the devil, I would just be so nondescript that by the time you left, you'd say, oh, I feel good. He didn't say anything bad against me today or anybody else for that matter. What else I would want to do to persuade you to not become a Christian is to highlight every hypocrite in the church. You know what the hypocrites are, don't you? That's you. That's not me. That's because every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what I can do is I can look in the life of every person who's a Christian and find something that I can pick out and say, see, they're a hypocrite. They're a hypocrite. And what I would do, I'd find the other people who really like to talk about hypocrites and I'd get a whole bunch of us together and we'd just have a hypocrite party. Matthew 23, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea and to win one proselyte and when you, he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. You see, a real hypocrite is trying to persuade people to follow the devil's message. Oh, that's the real hypocrite. 
The third thing that I would try to do is put out in front of you some carnal desires, fleshly desires, to appeal to the lust of the flesh, to satisfy your wishes. You know some of the fastest growing religions today are those that says you can mix with it all kinds of debauchery. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, it says about Moses, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He looked at life, he looked at eternity, and he says, you know what, I I think I better live for eternity. But if I were the devil, what I'd be trying to do is hold out in front of you a desire to do the wicked things. 1 Timothy 6, 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. I would make the church something that, all oh, those poor people, they have to give money to think. I'd say, you need to hold on to your money and don't be a part of the church. But now for just a moment... I'd like to talk to you about getting Christians back in the world because tonight the majority of this audience are Christians. And if I could, and I was the devil, I'd want to make sure that you left the church and went back into the world because I would know that if I did that, I'd make you worse off than you were to start with. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they are entangled in them and overcome, now listen carefully, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. You see, it's worse because now you know better. That doesn't mean that the devil can't get a hold of you. 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Folks, I can't tell you the number of people since I have been here that are no longer here because material things are worth more to them than being a Christian. Their own physical pleasure. That's the reason why in James 4 verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever would make, therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You just got to get people to be a little more worldly. Well, how do I do that? Get you some sinful companions. Pair up a good Christian with a foul mouth, lying, cheating friend. And folks, it'll rub off on you. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You hang around with trash and you're going to start stinking like trash. You hang around with wicked people and you're going to start acting like wicked people. I want to secularize the church. 
that means to take the church, instead of focusing our songs on praising God, let's sing songs that make us feel good. Instead of singing and praying to God, let's, let's change the focus to us instead of God. And instead of us having services about praise and worship, let us have services about my wishes. Are we going to have a class for this and a class for that? Because that would make me enjoy. Listen to Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God not on the things on the earth. And yet, I can't tell you how many churches now have changed their focus away from the worship and service of God to the worship and service of man. And the man is us. If I was a devil, boy, I'd be tickled to death with these churches that have said, well, what we're trying to do, we're trying to please our community. We're trying to scratch the itching ears of this world. The third thing that I do to get you back into the world is to seduce you with this idea that you have a license to sin. You know, I, I used to like to play Monopoly when I was a kid because I always liked to get that card, get out of jail free, so that if you ended up going to jail, then you say, aha, I got the card, I get out of jail free. Do you know that there's a lot of people who actually believe that the grace of God is a get-out-of-hell-free card? That's the way they look at it. Galatians 5 and verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Don't use it for an opportunity for the flesh. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are bond servants of corruption. You see, if I, I want to do it, I'd tell you, don't worry about this sin. God's grace is going to cover it. Don't worry, worry about this mistake over here. You've got to realize God loves you and He's not going to hold you accountable for that. Repentance is never preached. Sin is never discussed. People are told, don't worry. But now, let's say I can't keep you from becoming a Christian. And I can't get you to go back into the world. You're still going to attend. You're still going to be in services. He knows that if a Christian continues to be active, his cause will suffer. And so here's what, if I were the devil, I'd try to do. I'd try my best to persuade you to just sit on the pew, sleep through the sermon, let your mind wander when we worship, don't think about the Lord and His sacrifice and His death as the emblems are passed on Sunday morning. 
surely don't give anything. Well, how can I do that? I've got to persuade you to be satisfied with who you are. I mean, you've got to realize that if I'm the devil, I've got to make you feel like that where you are and what you're doing is good enough. In Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 15, talking to the church at Laodicea, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have gotten rich and wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, the problem was with them and can be with us is I'm satisfied with who I am. I've done learned enough of the Bible. I don't need to study any more of it. I've done my time teaching Bible classes. They don't need me to wait on the table. Why would I need to go to my neighbor and invite him to vacation Bible school or a gospel meeting? I've done my time. I'm through. I'd get you to be as useless as I could. Second thing I'd try to do is not only persuade you to be satisfied with who you are, but I'd also want to try to stir up some problems because, see, if I can stir up some problems, we spend all of our time fighting one another instead of fighting the devil, and we spend all of our time trying to resolve what's going on here rather than getting out and preaching the gospel to the world. When Paul wrote the churches of Galatia, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, Beware lest you be consumed by one another. That's what it's going to be. Everybody's going to be at one another's throats. Because I know that Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The best thing in the world to try to keep you from being profitable to the Lord is to get this side of the congregation mad at this side and us just try to work against one another we absolutely will not get anything done for the Lord. And I'll tell you how else you can get people to be useless. And that is take away the word out of their lives. Put something else in there. Get them full of something. Everybody, you know, you can't have a vacuum. There's, there's going to be something that will fill it. You know, you have God's word in a person's life and it's going to make him want to reject sin. But what I need to do is find something that you want to hear. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, he talks about preaching the word, being urgent in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. But I want you to notice particularly verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. If I were the devil and I wanted to render this congregation useless, I would use no scripture. But I would have some of the best jokes that you could ever find. And yet the congregation would just be laughing, everybody would be happy. And you'd go out of here and you wouldn't feel any compulsion, any desire to do anything for God except for tell everybody the good jokes that you just heard. 
In Hosea 4 and verse 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 4, nor give heed to fables, endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Titus 1 and verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Don't want you to become a Christian. If you do, I want to get you back in the world. If that doesn't work, I want to nullify what good you could do if I were the devil. But let me point out to you as I end it, the last thing that I would get you to do is to think that you have plenty of time to fix what's going on. You know, you can say, well, that preacher, he hit me tonight. He hit me. But now I'm not going to do anything about it. Well, if I'm the devil, I'm going to say, no, you don't do anything about it tonight. You've got plenty of time. You could do it next week, next month, next year, after you graduate, when you retire. James 4 verse 14 says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, it seems just like a few weeks ago that we pulled up to a house that was located in that direction and a three-year-old boy jumped out with a smile on his face. Folks, that's been 30 years ago. Life passes so quickly. Luke 12, 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you and then whose those things will be which you have prepared? Everything that you've lived for. If the Lord calls you home tonight, everything that you've worked for, whose is it going to be? Jesus put the devil, he says, get behind me, Satan. And you and I have to do the same thing. James 4 verse 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I could spend a whole lot more time, but I think you get the picture. I've tried to tell you, if I were the devil, what I would have done, what I would say. But I hope that I have interspersed in there enough of God's word that you recognize that's not what I want you to do. And it's definitely not what God wants you to do. Because God cares about you. He cared enough to send His only begotten Son. John 3 and verse 16. We sing this song of invitation in just a moment. For those of you who are not Christians, will you not please for just a moment think how precious your soul is? Will you not just make the step out into the aisle and walk to the front and say, I want to be a Christian? We will help you all the way through. If you're a child of God and you're looking at your life and you say, I, I know it's, it's a mess. Would you come while we stand and sing?